chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 13 and hear the word of the Lord this morning. He, being Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. In verse 18, now John's disciples and Pharisees were fasting and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but you, your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, if he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Just one more time, let's go before the Lord and ask him to bless our time together again. God, it may have been my voice that spoke. It was your word that we just audibly heard, and we're so thankful for the life and the privilege that we have because of the freedom that you offered and the sacrifice that you made on the cross Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to you and that when we leave this room, we would be in awe of the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ. We would look and say, how marvelous is our King Jesus. Would you please be mighty to save? Would you please be mighty to heal, be mighty to restore in this room on this beautiful day? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The gospel, or I would say the glory of the gospel, is not that God gives salvation uh, to people who earn it or to people who think they are righteous. He gives it, or to people who think that they have achieved some level of success in their life, or people who think they're holy, but he gives salvation to the ungodly. He gives salvation to the unholy. He gives salvation to the unrighteous. He gives salvation who believe and repent in Jesus Christ. This, this story is a scandalous story of the grace and of Jesus Christ. And it really kind of tears down any kind of motivated type, works-based type uh, theology that we kind of succumb to in our lives, that if I could just achieve a level of holiness, God would maybe bring down more success to me or bring down more blessings to me. This story is scandalous in that he finds the most vile and, and weird people, and he calls them into salvation. 
It's all summed up in this final statement. In fact, I could, I could summarize the gospel in verse 17. I didn't come to call the righteous, but I come to call the sinners. The only people that Jesus displays here that can enter into a relationship with the Father and that can enter into eternity, into heaven with our God, the only people who can be received by God, that can receive God's glorious kingdom, and the only people who are given the salvation message of Jesus Christ are not people who earn it, are not people who think they've deserved it, but it's the people who don't deserve it. It's the sinners. It's, it's the people who have, who have recognized their filth and their sin. And the gospel is that, that he comes to save sinners. If you remember the previous story from verses 1 through 12, it's this incredible story that we read last week where uh, Jesus is teaching in a house and the crowd is so great and and, and this paralytic comes with his four friends and they're, they're baffled because they can't get through uh, to Jesus because, you know, people shouldn't move for a paralytic man to get in before Jesus. So they find another way. They dig a hole through the roof. And as the mud and the dirt begins to drip down on Jesus's face, he's laid right there before Jesus and Jesus forgives this man's sin. So now we see from verse 1 through 12 that Jesus has the authority and the power to forgive sins, right? Because that's what the, the scribes were saying like to themselves and inside internally they're saying, who is this man that he has the power to forgive sins? And Jesus answers their thought. And, and Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, okay. Only God forgives sins, exactly. And he looks at the man and he forgives his sin. So we see on display from verse one through 12, the power and display of power and authority that Jesus has to forgive sins. And now we see a recognition of who that message is for. We saw a little bit of it with the message of the paralytic, but now we're going to see in greater detail of who this message is for. The, the who Jesus talks about is the sinner. So let's, let's just kind of look through some of these and who these sinners are. Now, in verse 13, it says that he went out again. Jesus went out again. So he left the house with the purpose of going to the seashore to do what? So he could teach again. This goes back to chapter one, verse 37, 38, when Jesus says, I've got to go so I can teach my message. I got to go so I can teach the gospel of this redemptive love, this grace and mercy that I've come to offer the world. So Jesus, again, he's gone by the seashore because the houses cannot contain the crowds, right? I mean, everybody pressed inside these little homes, I mean, these aren't like these big homes we have in Utah. These are tiny little homes, and everybody's pressed inside these homes. And Jesus is like, I, I got to get out of here so that I can, I can go fulfill one of my purposes. And my purpose was to preach this kingdom message of the gospel. And so on his way to Capernaum, right, and he sees Levi, the son of Alphaeus, and he's sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And immediately he got up and, and he followed Jesus. Now, this is mysterious in so many ways. This is scandalous. And this is really shocking because this is the tax collector. You kind of have to understand the context of the, 
the tax collector, a rabbi would never call a tax collector because it would leave a stain on, I don't know, their influence or, or who they were as, like I'm not going out and, and calling out some IRS agent to come be a part of this church, right? No, I mean, no offense if you work for the IRS. If you do work for the IRS, you, praise the Lord. I mean, what are the odds? We love the IRS. <laughs> I got to talk to you later. It's like this tax station that he comes. How do I resp- like how do I keep going? Like I feel like I just need to leave and let's be done. He goes, and Jesus is like just shattering all these stereotypes. This tax collector, he has a booth Jesus passes by in Capernaum. Now, let's understand this tax collector. These were kind of like franchises that the Roman Empire would allow people to purchase. So so Levi, and we'll figure out that his name is also Matthew in just a moment. So Levi has, apparently he's already has some wealth because you got to have some wealth to purchase one of these franchise type uh, tax booths. And on top of that, he is collecting from his people. Levi is from a Jewish community, a Jewish tribe. So he speaks this Jewish language and also to the Greeks because it's like they're passing through, uh, like this road tax or the state tax where they're passing through towns. So, So Levi here is collecting off of the backs of the poor and his own people. A, a rabbi would never pick one of those people. A, a rabbi would never pick because this guy is, is building his wealth off of the poverty of the Jewish people. So think about how that would stain Jesus's character if he picks Levi, this tax collector who is oppressing his very own people. This is audacious. This is scandalous. And, and so we don't know much about Levi, his dad, Alphaeus. They just kind of name drop him in there. And Alphaeus was kind of a common name in ancient Israel. But we do know that this Levi is also Matthew, who's referenced in Matthew, Luke, and John, right? This is the disciple of Jesus, the same guy. Levi was a Greek name, uh, perhaps, and also Matthew or, or Levi, Matthew was the Greek name and Levi was the Hebrew name. And so as the tax collector, Matthew was working for Greek-speaking Romans while oppressing his Hebrew brothers and sisters. He gathered taxes from the Hebrews. And now Jesus comes along and he sees this guy in this tax booth and I just want you to see how mysterious this is and how crazy this really is that I really can't wrap my mind around. He says to him, follow me. That's it. I mean, it just, can you just, I mean, I just follow me. Matthew, follow me. I mean, so, so like, think how mysterious that is when some random guy who looks you dead in the eyes, and he says, follow me? It, this, we, we tell our children to stay away from those people, right? May have, he may have heard about this, this, this Jewish guy from Nazareth, from this nowhere view. He may have, may have heard or caught wind, but we don't know. 
Jesus just looks at him and says, follow me. And, and what does the text say? He, he gets up, follows him. And that, that's, that's, yeah, okay, that's crazy, right? If it, I, I'm Matthew, I have, I've, I've built my wealth. Oddly enough, my name is Matthew also, and I've not built up a, a world of wealth, by the way. Um, Matthew, this guy, he's built a world of wealth, oppressing people. Um, we're going to find out in a second. He's got a big house where people are dining and reclining uh, inside of, of perhaps likely his house. So he's got all of this wealth. And, and all of a sudden, the pleasures of the world, all of a sudden, wealth, um, greed, oppression of the people, those things fade away. And he's no longer bound by the way of this world. The grace in Jesus Christ comes and he meets him and he locks his eyes with him and he says, follow me. I, sometimes I love seeing what's not in the text. I don't really recommend that, but I, I like seeing like, well, well, did Jesus like make him go through a next steps, next steps class? I mean, you know, if, he, if he's a tax collector, he probably should. Can you sign off on all these doctrines and make sure that you agree and align with our theology? Can, let's, hey, Matthew, before we do anything, let's baptize you first. No, he just, he looks, he looks at Matthew. He says, follow me. Luke's account says that he immediately dropped everything that he had and he followed Jesus. And, and, and suddenly, um, the, the gods he was worshiping crumbled. And, and suddenly, in an, like, in an instant, it wasn't this, Jesus, can I, can I sell my business first? Because in Roman uh, Empire days, if he, if he just drops his uh, franchise and his business, there are vultures waiting to grab it and take over. Uh, they, like Matthew's not like, hey, man, I got some family that could really benefit from this business. Do you mind if we do like a little sell and some like, we got to do some legal things? Like, Matthew doesn't do any of those things. He's not like Jesus. I need to go tell my, my people uh, whom I've been colluding with. I mean, you think about that, like, like he's colluding with the, with the Roman, almost said Russians. He's colluding, I watched too much news. He's colluding with the Roman empire. And so you think at some moment, he's got to go make amends with them. And he's like, hey, you know what? I've been like colluding with you and like building a wealth for myself and for you off of the backs of the Jewish people. And, and I'm about to go follow this rabbi, but, but the, the Bible just says he, he just left everything behind because that's the power of the call of Christ. Christ. That, that's the irresistible grace of Jesus Christ. When he calls sinners, they have no other response other than just to drop what they're doing. You think he was sitting there? And I hate to prolong this, but I've got to. Like he's sitting, you think he's sitting there just thinking about like, well, if I choose this, if I choose that, or if I'm doing A and B, and you got to know he's an A-typer because he's a tax collector, right? And he's so detail-oriented, but immediately, he leaves everything behind. This is the audacious grace of Jesus Christ. In, in this moment, for Matthew, when Jesus locks his eyes with him and he says, follow me, um, in that moment, everything that controlled his life, it had no meaning to him anymore. Money had no meaning to him. Power had no meaning. The world had immediately lost its grip 
and Satan had lost his grip on Matthew's soul in an instant where Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. Matthew gave up his career. He gave up his everything, his wealth, but in return, he gained an eternal glory. He lost his material possessions, but in turn, he gained eternity with Christ. He lost his earthly security, and in a moment, he gained his security with Jesus Christ. Jesus looks at him, says, follow me. And, and Matthew immediately drops it, and he begins to follow Christ. This is similar to what happened in the first chapter when, he, when, he, when he's already picked his first four disciples. It, hey, fishermen, follow me. They drop it, and they follow him. James and John, they, in fact, leave his dad with a servant. You got to know, like, dad's like, hey, bros, what are y'all doing? Are you going gonna to leave me with this guy? You're going to leave me for this guy. Like, we don't know anything about him. But immediately, they follow Jesus. Now, let's look at who he dines with. So they end up back at Matthew's house, right? And, and we got to understand this is likely a, a probably larger house than the common house in, in Jerusalem, in, in this area. So he's done well taking money from the poor and they're reclining and they're eating. That's the posture of uh, Israel in this, in this time period. Um, it's not like grabbing grab what you can to eat and, and go, right? Like that's, that's kind of how we as Americans do it. Or if we do sit down, it's like for 15 minutes with our family and, and then we go. Like this is like a long event. They're reclining. They got one arm like holding up their head and the other with food and they're, they're bonded together in this moment. And this is their posture. This is another world, right? And they're here and they're having a lavished feast with Jesus. They're here to, to hear about the kingdom message. They're, they're here perhaps to hear Matthew's testimony of how this man grabbed my soul and by his grace, I'm following him now. These are the people that Jesus are dining with. These are the sinners. These are the dishonorable. These have been despised by Galilee, like everybody in the, in fact, writings would list sinners, specifically who they were, tax collectors, prostitutes, people who were sick, like the paralytic man would be considered a sinner. All of these types, the drunkards, the, the sexual immoral, all of these people were listed in ancient writings as these are the sinners. And what's happening here? Like, what's, what's going on right here in this moment? You know, what's, you know what's happening right here? Revival's taking place. Like, there's a revival going on here because there was a tax collector. There was tax collectors and sinners. Like, these were the, the dregs of society. These were the thugs that everybody looked down upon. These were the disenfranchised of society. These were the sinners and the most wicked of these kind were gamblers, were money launderers. 
These were Sabbath violators. These were violent shepherds. In fact, shepherds in some sense, in some categories, and depending on where you were, were considered filthy. Thieves. All of the dregs of society. And where are they? They're, what are they, what are they doing? Come on, y'all, what are they doing? They're eating, reclining. Like, if you ever read through the gospel, count the amount of times Jesus eats. Like, he, he ain't, I was going to say he didn't have the six pack that every picture, um, because of how much, anyway, he, he loves to eat. You can find Jesus in three places, leaving because he just ate, going to a place he's about to eat, or he's reclining as he's eating. That, yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, yes, I knew there was another reason why I love Jesus. Like he loved to eat. He's here, he's feasting with the dregs and the thugs of society. And he's also there which, which we would believe right now are, are six disciples that he's already chosen. And now Matthew is the sixth one. And this is the common description and the life of Jesus is that he's here reclining and dining with sinners and his disciples. And he's eating and he's feasting with them. There, there's no wonder why uh, Jesus is... Um, oftentimes called out by, you know, the religious establishment, like, oh, he's just a glutton and a drunkard. He wasn't a glutton or a drunkard, but he did appear as a drunkard and a glutton because of the amount of times Jesus was eating. And, and this, is, this is important. We'll get into this in a little bit. Why was this? Why was Jesus doing this? This was Jesus bringing the kingdom of heaven down because of the wedding feast that will take place. And he's showing them just a small glimpse of what the kingdom feast is going to look like. Some of them are like, yay, <laughs> like that, Jesus. Now look at the self-righteous Matthew in the community of sinners. He leads to this contempt of the self-righteous, right? The Pharisees, they can't let anything go. And it does appear that they're always following in every footstep of Jesus. It's like they're curious, but they're always waiting to trip him up, right? And, and in particular, like these scribes, these scribes of Pharisees were the theologians of the day. They knew the word, but they weren't practicing the word. These religious people, they thought they looked good, but they were nasty on the inside. They, they thought they had the appearance of righteousness, but they were wicked inside. In fact, Jesus would call them out on their bluff many times by calling them brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs. Right? Those aren't compliments, by the way. Right, you're coming to me and you're like, you're nothing but a whitewashed tomb. Like, I'm going to slap you. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not a compliment. So you say, you are dead on the inside. You are rotten corpse. You may look like you've got it all together. You may look like you have this appearance of, ooh, look at me. I've got it all together. But on the inside, Jesus knows the hearts of these wicked religious leaders. That's right. 
<laughs> you guys are on it today. These are Satan's people. They were facing the distinction between all false religion and the true gospel because the true gospel was in conflict in what they were teaching, a form of the law, a form of extra biblical laws, a form of you have to look like us. And they try to, um, they, they try to push away the presence of God by, by having people come to them instead of the Father. So their true religion, they registered their vindictive outrage. And so here's Jesus eating and drinking with the tax collectors and the sinners. And he recognizes they're also in the presence of the self-righteous. And, and Jesus is going to give them an incredible indictment, or, or really, I guess we can call this a condemnation. And it's, and it's, it, it, I, we could probably break it down in two different ways. So, so Jesus says to them, look at verse 17. So they're outside. Jesus hears them complaining. And Jesus throws this grenade on their ideas. Jesus said to them, you know, because he just got through saying, like, who, who is this man eating with all these weird people? And Jesus said to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. So there's, there's, in, there's condemnation number one. Condemnation number two is this. I did not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. So it's kind of a rhetorical, his answer is a t kind of a rhetorical question in twofold. First, it's not for those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. This is an analogy that Jesus is presenting. Doctors go where? Or sick people go where? Unless you're a really stubborn man, right? <laughs> like until you're the hospital to see who? A doctor. That's where sick people go. It's pretty simple. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm the spiritual doctor here. The doctor is in the house. I'm the spiritual healer here. I'm the one who will heal you and, and not just display it like I did with the paralysis or the healing of the paralytic man externally, but I will also heal you internally. Jesus is saying, I've come to heal those who recognize that they got issues. I'm here to heal those who understand their deep need of salvation. I'm here to heal those who recognize the wickedness of their heart. I'm here to heal the sick and the sinners. If the Pharisees could see and yeah, surely they're like, who is Jesus reclining with the sinners? Like, like they should have seen what was happening here. And Jesus gives them this analogy to kind of like kind of open their eyes a little bit. Like, do you not see that? I'm, basically, here's what Jesus is saying, and don't miss this. I'm not here for you. All right, just think how that may feel, right? You think you are, you're self-righteous. You think you've got your life all together. You think you are perfect in every way. Here's what Jesus would say to you. I'm not here for you. I'm here for the sinner. I'm, I'm here for the one who recognizes their deep depravity. 
I'm here for the one who recognizes their sin and wickedness. Think about the slap to the self-righteous's face that that must have felt. That Jesus essentially looks at these scribes and these Pharisees and he points his finger in their nasty face and says, I ain't even here for you. I'm here for them. Because they will never recognize how wicked internally they are. They will never recognize and come to the realization of how evil they are, right? Why? Because they're, they're whitewashed tombs. They're dead on the outside, on the inside, and they look like they have it all together. Man, please hear me this morning. How easy it is for us to fall into the temptation to think, if I can just do a little better, if I can just get my life together, if I can just achieve a little more, if I can just have a little bit more power, a little bit more success, then Christ will accept me more and he'll give me more blessings. That is the damnable prosperity message and is the damnable works-based theology that leads you internally rotten. And he comes to those who have this recognition and this realization as in the moment when Jesus looks at Matthew, Matthew had to have this feeling. Matthew had to have this realization of, I've been chasing my whole life, a life of greed, a life of power, a life of wealth. And in this moment, he feels the weight of his depravity. And when Jesus locks his eyes on him and he says, follow me, he abandons all of that just to follow the king. And then this other part here, when, when Jesus throws in, like you got to understand, like, man, the, the, these types of things are what got Jesus killed, okay? These sayings, these, these sayings were like, uh, yeah, you, you were right. God does forgive sin. Hey, by the way, buddy, your sins are forgiven. Jesus looks at these religious people and he's like, I, I, I'm not here for you. These are the things that are, these, this is the common thread that's going to get Jesus killed because of this claim of who he is. And I, I like this, this next part. It's somewhere in here. So Jesus said to them, if it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous but the sinners. I came to call sinners to repentance. Oh, how they hated him for this. How they hated our Messiah for this. And so it is for us today, right? That, that, that this same call, that the church is not filled with people who have it all together. The church is not filled with perfect people. In fact, I would suggest there's only one perfect church, and it doesn't exist. It's the church that doesn't have people in it. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever, but anyway. I'm on a roll today. i got the IRS here watching me. And <laughs> a couple of just application things that I just want to draw out of here and then we'll be, we'll be done. You, you look at the life of, of Matthew and, and, and Matthew in particular, because I think I would suggest 
that his is the most scandalous call of all the disciples. You know, fishermen, you know, they, they walk out, they leave their, their jobs, and, you know, if they decide, you know, Jesus, this ain't for me, there's plenty of fish to catch. They go back to their job. Matthew doesn't. He, he can't do that. If Jesus can, can save Matthew, please, please hear me this morning, he can save anyone. He, he can save anyone. And all it takes is just the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit to come in and say, hey, follow me. That's it. You know, Jesus doesn't look at Matthew and he says to him, hey, repeat this prayer after me. Hey, let's read through the whole Bible in 30 days before, you know, let's, let's memorize the Torah first before you can start following. No, he's just, that's it. And that's all it takes is just that gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit to come in and just say, hey, you, follow me. And some of us have been praying for people in our families. We've been praying for people who are friends, who are lost and are dying and going to hell. Friend, let me tell you something. God can save anyone. Don't stop praying. That person may, it may feel like, man, they're just too far gone. I've had those situations. Right? I've shared a story uh, uh, about my, my own sister. Like she, she was in a life of depravity, addicted to drugs, addicted, addicted to sex and alcohol and, and parties. And this lifestyle went on for 17 years of her life. And she hit rock bottom. And the Holy Spirit whispered into her soul and he says, follow me. And immediately she dropped everything she was doing. If, if God can save Matthew here, he can save anyone. So don't, don't give up hope on those people that you've been praying for for years and years and, and years. Is he not mighty to save? God saves anyone. Another application point here that I want to quickly go through is like, and I said this before, is like Jesus loved to eat, right? Verse 18, we didn't get through it, but I'll, I'll touch it real quick here. Now, Jesus, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and people came to him and he says, so, so one of John's disciples and one of the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but all you do is eat, right? I mean, that's, that's maybe just paraphrasing it. Like we see you, if you're not walking by the shore teaching, what are you doing? Sitting there eating, breaking bread, turning into like 5,000 loaves of fish. Like, what are you, loaves of fish. Uh, what are you doing, Jesus? Why are you, why are your disciples always eating? This was a sign of the commune with God that they had. This was a sign that Jesus was bringing. Like, this is the wedding feast, right? He even uses that illustration. Like, if the bride is here with the groom, why would they be fasting right now? Like the bride is with the groom. So we are, we are feasting because this is a touch of what it looks like in the kingdom of God. This dining and feasting with his, these sinners and with these tax collectors and with his disciples, he's illustrating to us what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. Like it's this wedding banquet and a feast. Like it's making my stomach growl right now. Or it could be the popcorn out there popping. 
It's this imagery of the banquet feast, of this feast of eternity with God forever. And he's bringing that down here. And where is he doing this at? He's in a house. Again, I just want to go back to a couple of weeks. Like, what would it look like if you would think of your home not as just a place of retreat, but as the epicenter of God's kingdom work through you? Like, what would it look like if you actually, like, took some people out or took, brought them into your home and just prepared a meal for them and get to know them. Like that's how we're going to reach people. That's how you're going to reach your neighborhood. That's how you're going to reach your street. Is you inviting people into your home. And, and look, I get it. Like the, 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 because the question is, well, like, <laughs> you don't know my neighborhood, right? Like what if they're all weird like me? I, I don't know. I guess I'm an okay guy, even though I'm still weird. Like, what if, they're, what if they're the tax collectors of our day? What if they're the sinners? What if they're the adulterous? What if they are, well, okay. Those are the people you need to be having in your home. Those are the people we need to be feasting with and showing them a glimpse of the reality of the kingdom of God. Because something happens, right, when you're sitting down with some people for a couple of hours over a really good meal, right? Something good happens to your soul. And the reason why that's there is because it is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. You have eternity in your hearts and some of that is coming out when you're feasting and when you're, when you're eating with people. It is a reality of, so what would it look like if instead you looked at your house, not as a place to retreat from kingdom work, although that, that is a part of your home, but what if you also viewed your house as a place not of retreat from the kingdom, but as a place that is the epicenter of the kingdom work that God is doing through you? That's, that's the call on all of us. That's the model of the church in early church history. This message that Jesus brings to us here is come. All right, come, come everyone. Come sinner, come, come, just come and realize who you are outside of Christ. And, and, and God in his sovereignty whispers to you and says, follow me. And we drop everything that we're doing, our comfort, our convenience, our wealth, and we follow Jesus. That's the call of the gospel. 